One time, Jack Miller and his wife, Rose Marie, were enjoying a ministry break in Switzerland after some intense missionary work in East Africa. And as they were walking on the streets in Geneva, Rose Marie just suddenly burst into tears. All the trials and the suffering and the hardships of parenting and ministry and the mission field, they all just came crashing down. And so here's how she describes it in her book, Nothing is Impossible with God, Reflections on Weakness, Faith, and Power. I recommend it to you. She says this, On the way home from Uganda, Jack and I stopped for a few days in Switzerland, the place where God had met me earlier, and a place I love because of the beautiful mountains and the order and cleanliness of the culture. But even that did not bring rest to my spirit because the Holy Spirit was at work, waiting to teach me something new. As we walked the streets of Geneva, surrounded by sophisticated, well-dressed people, I finally couldn't hold it in any longer. My suppressed anger and guilt came to the surface. With tears streaming down my cheeks, I said to Jack, Why couldn't I cope? Why do I collapse so often and then get filled with guilt? What is wrong with me? Jack turned to me and said, Rosemarie, you act like an orphan. You act as if the Holy Spirit never came and could never help you through impossible situations like Uganda and Mombasa. You act as if there is no Father who loves you. She continues, the Holy Spirit took those words and pressed them into my heart. I knew Jack was right. All I could say was, Lord, I am sorry. Please teach me how to be a daughter. The Corinthians were acting like orphans too, just like Rosemarie Miller. They were living as if the Holy Spirit never came. They were acting as if there was no father who loved them. And they too needed to learn how to be sons and daughters again. And maybe you do too. Maybe you need to learn how to be a son or a daughter of your heavenly father. Are you living like an orphan today? I mean right now? Have you been living like an orphan recently? Have you been living as if you have no Father in heaven who loves you and cares for you? If so, don't orphan yourself. Don't orphan yourself by thinking that the Holy Spirit never came and that he could never help you through impossible situations. Don't orphan yourself by thinking that God will only really love you if you stay in line and keep the rules. You know, that's all God cares about is us keeping the rules. Don't orphan yourself thinking that God's only going to love you if you keep the rules. Don't orphan yourself by thinking that God doesn't care about you and that he isn't listening to your prayers. Christian, you have a father in heaven. You live in a fathered world. So stop thinking and living like an orphan. Learn again how to be a son and how to be a daughter. 
And may the Spirit take these words and press them into your heart today. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul will now get to the heart of why the Corinthians should not be unequally yoked with the super apostles, that group of false teachers who had invaded this little church that Paul planted. Paul will now give us and give them this really, really, really big reason why they and we should not get on the performance treadmill and try to earn our way to God, try to earn his love, Paul will tell us why they and we should reject works righteousness. And here's why. Because we are already safe and secure as God's children. We don't have to earn our Father's love. He loves us no matter what we do. He loves us just because he loves us. He's God. He can do what he wants to do. And you know what? He loves you. I don't care what you think about that. He doesn't care what you think about. He loves you because he loves you. He just does. Deal with it. Accept it and receive it. He just loves you. And maybe that's what your heart needs to hear this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look in the middle of verse 16. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Hear the word of the Lord. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is friends, is the hope of the gospel right here, that God Almighty would dwell among his people, that Jesus just can't get close enough to his people. And it answers the question why, as we saw last week, why the Corinthians should have nothing to do with the super apostles or with lawlessness or darkness or Belial or idols. And the answer is this, because we are the temple of the living God. Because God has come down to us in the person of his son. We don't have to climb a ladder up to God. God came down to us. And now he dwells with us and within us by his spirit. But understand that when Paul says here that we are the temple of the living God, he's not referring to the temple structure or any kind of physical building for that matter. God now dwells within us by his spirit, individually and corporately as the body of Christ, the church. And the super apostles were calling the Corinthians back to Moses. Hey, you guys need to come back to Moses, come back to the law, come back to the temple. And Paul comes alongside and he says, don't go back to Moses. Don't go back to the temple. We are the temple of the living God. And it's not just Paul saying this. Paul says, God has already said this. And so Paul now quotes or alludes to six passages from the Old Testament here to make his point. Leviticus 26, Ezekiel 37, Isaiah 52, Ezekiel 20, 2 Samuel 7, and Isaiah 43. So if anyone wants to disagree, Paul kindly points them to some things that God said way back in the Old Testament when he made a blog post about it. 
Now, there are two words here that should just stop you in your tracks in verse 16, and here they are. My people. My goodness. My people. Circle those two words. Those two words should startle you. My people. It should shock us. Why? Because God is holy. We were just singing that. God is holy. He's infinitely glorious. He's majestic. You just can't mosey into his presence. And yet, he still insists on having a people. And the only people that he can work with are sinners like us. But then God gets real possessive. And he refers to us as my people. What sweet words. What wonderful news. My people. They're mine. My goodness. What sweet, sweet words. And that's why this phrase gets repeated over and over again throughout the Bible. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's really the big idea of the Bible. That's the core of the gospel. I will be your God and you will be my people. And it reminds us that God actually loves being close to his people. We see this in the Old Testament. God's presence in the tabernacle and then God's presence in Solomon's temple. God's presence in the midst of his covenant people. And that is the heart of this covenant relationship is that God wants to be with his people. We're the ones that don't want to be with him, right? Because we're the ones who don't have a quiet time, right? We're the ones that don't pray. We're the ones that don't read our Bible. We're the ones that wake up and say, I don't really want to go to church today. We're the ones that don't want to be with him. He's like, I want to be with you because you're my people. You belong to me. (laughs) You're a bunch of stinkers, but you belong to me. That is the heart of Christianity. The heart of this covenant relationship is that God wants to be with his people. But the visible symbol of God's presence in the midst of his people is no longer the temple. And it's not a church building. Rather, it's Jesus Christ himself as Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus physically represents the triune God's presence in the midst of his people. And now that Jesus has ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit upon the church, God's presence is represented in the world by us, his people, the church. We are his people. And as the body of Christ, the church is the new temple, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, made up of Jews and Gentiles, built together as a holy dwelling place for God. That means then there is no need for, nor will there be a renewed temple building in the future because we are the temple of God. God dwells within his people, the church. And as God's people, our calling is to take this good news to our city all the way to the nations. Tell our family and our neighbors and our co-workers and our fellow students 
they need us to share this good news with them. We're called to spread the good news of Jesus so that lost people's chilly pride would melt into this exuberant joy when they hear about Jesus. Listen, God's heart really does throb and, and pulsate with holy joy. It's like boo, 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 boo for bad people. Think about that. And that's the message that the Central Coast desperately needs to hear. They don't need to hear, here's seven ways to be a better neighbor, okay? You can get that from Oprah, okay? She'll tell you how. That's the message that the Central Coast desperately needs to hear, that God's heart throbs and pulsates and beats, boom, 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 for bad people. And God has you here right now at this point in history. God has you here on the Central Coast in whatever neighborhood you're in, in whatever job you're at, in whatever school you go to, to let the Central Coast know that God adopts some of the worst kids in the orphanage, the ones that nobody wants, and then he brings them home and welcomes them into his family. And you are where you are so that you can tell the people that you know, hey, God welcomes you. God welcomes you home right now. Will you come? That's why he has you where you are. And that's what Paul is doing here. Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they have been adopted by God. He has welcomed them home, and they're no longer orphans. Look at verse 17. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And so Paul quotes now from Ezekiel 20 and Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 52 here to point out that the Corinthians and all believers, we have left life in Adam. We have left exile. We've left the kingdom of darkness and now we have been adopted into God's family. So to come out and be separate means quit returning to the orphanage. To, to, it means to leave the orphan mentality behind. It means to come home. The context of this Old Testament verse that Paul quotes here is the nation of Israel returning out of slavery, out of exile in Babylon and returning home to Jerusalem. Paul picks up that verse here to remind the Corinthians that God hasn't put them in a timeout, that they're not in some probation period, that they're now welcome home. They don't have to live like orphans anymore because they have been adopted into God's family. And God says to them, as he says to every believer, to anyone who would trust in his son, I welcome you. Now think about this. Who does God adopt into his family? Answer, God adopts the devil's kids. Think about that. If you are in Christ, God adopted you out of the devil's family. God went to the orphanage that Satan was running, and he picked you. Out of all the bad kids that are there, he came and said, she's mine, he's mine. 
You were once dead in your sin, blind, trapped in the kingdom of darkness, living with the devil in his miserable orphanage, and God kicked the door open one day and he told the devil, I'm taking this one. They're legally my child now. They belong to me. They belong to my family, and they're coming home with me. God really does adopt the devil's children. What did Jesus say in John 8, 44? You are of your father, the devil. Jesus said his opponents were the devil's very offspring. And that's all of us because we're born in Adam in sin. Paul told the Corinthians back in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that unbelievers have been blinded by the God of this world, blinded by the devil. And that means then if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, then God rescued you from and God adopted you from the devil's family, the devil's orphanage, because God adopts the devil's kids. Wow. Does that truth excite you? Maybe you're thinking, I'm not one of the devil's kids before I came to Jesus. You were. Does it excite you? Does adoption thrill you that you have been adopted by God? I mean, yes, we are forgiven. And we get excited about that. We talk about that a lot here at Grace. Yes, we are justified. We are righteous. And yes, that truth thrills our hearts as it should. But even better than that, get this, even better than forgiveness of sin even better than being justified and declared righteous by God, even better than those things, get this, we are adopted. Can it get any better than being declared righteous? Can it get any better than being forgiven of our sins? The answer is yes. Adoption is actually better. J.I. Packer opened my eyes to this truth years ago, and, and I can't unsee it. In his book, Knowing God, another good book I'd recommend to you, he begins chapter 19 by asking, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. You sum up the whole of the New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. In fact, Packer goes on to say, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. Now, that may come as a surprise to you because we Reformed folks really value justification by faith, don't we? By grace alone 
in Christ alone, right? We value justification. As Calvin says, it is the hinge, okay, on which all of Christianity depends is justification by grace through faith. We believe that. We value that, and we are right to do so. What is justification? It's the act whereby God legally declares us not guilty, and he credits us with the righteousness of his son Jesus. So we are right to make a big deal out of that. Make a big deal out of justification. But you may be saying, can it ever get better than that? Better than justification? J.I. Packer says it can and does. Why? Because then we contrast justification with adoption. Again, to quote Packer, he says this, adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love, viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. We have been adopted into God's family and we now call him Father. We are his children, okay? To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Do you want God to say, I forgive you. You're righteous. I've given you the righteousness of my son. You are welcome into heaven forever. I just don't want to ever see you again, okay? I live over there. Don't come knocking on my door. Go enjoy my world. You're forgiven. Have a blast. We don't want that, do we? To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. And Paul puts adoption right into the middle of this theology sandwich here in chapter 6 so that this thought of God as our Father being adopted, this thought would motivate the Corinthians to break up with the super apostles, to not be unequally yoked with them. This is how he's wanting to motivate them. You have these promises from God, so break it off with those people. And so Paul would agree with and repeat J.I. Packer's words to this church that he planted. He would say, if having God as Father, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls your worship and your prayers and your outlook on life, it means, Corinthians, that y'all do not understand Christianity very well. And I think J.I. Packer would agree with me. I'll find out one day when I ask him. He's with our Lord right now. But I think Packer would agree with me when I tell you once again, don't orphan yourself. Here's how you can tell if you've orphaned yourself. If, you're, if you have functionally orphaned yourself, then these things are true of you. You feel all alone in this world. Even though you're surrounded by people, even though you have friends and family, you just feel alone. And you've orphaned yourself if you're really anxious over your needs, money, health, relationships, job. Or if you feel condemned all the time and guilty, dirty, ashamed. And if you get defensive about things instead of resting in Christ's righteousness. 
or if you want to be right all the time, or if you live in the fear of man and you worry about what other people think of you, and so you try so hard to please everybody, and you're just exhausted from that because it's exhausting, isn't it, trying to please everyone? You can't do it, and it will wear you out. You've orphaned yourself when you do that. You've orphaned yourself when you're unable to tolerate any criticism whatsoever. You've orphaned yourself when you compare yourself with others. You've orphaned yourself when you're ungrateful and you complain and you're bitter and you're angry and most likely deep down, you're really angry with God. If these things are true of you, then you've orphaned yourself. You're living like you don't have a father in heaven who cares for you and who will take care of all your needs. And that's what the Corinthians were doing, acting like orphans. And that's why Paul piles up these promises from the Old Testament to help them learn again how to be sons and daughters. And Paul will now end this traffic jam car pileup of Old Testament verses by describing God the Father for the Corinthians. How does Paul describe God the Father? How does he describe their heavenly Father in 2 Corinthians 6.18? Answer with three very simple words. The Lord Almighty. The Greek word for Almighty is pantokrator. It's one of my favorite Greek words. It's fun to say, pantokrator. Okay, It comes from the word panta, which means all or every, and kratos, which means mighty or powerful. The word kratos is actually used of the devil in Hebrews 2.14, where the devil is described as the one who has the power of death. But the devil just has power, just kratos. He does not have all power, all kratos. Only God has all power, all kratos, pantokrator. Only God is pantokrator. You want to share the gospel with your friends and neighbors and family members? Go tell them, you know, we went to church yesterday and we worshiped pantokrator. Thought you were a Christian, you go to church. Yeah, we worship pantokrator at my church. And then you begin to explain to them, hey, it means almighty, God almighty. This word pantokrator is actually only used 10 times in the New Testament, nine times in the book of Revelation. No surprise there, right? And then one time here in 2 Corinthians 6 by the Apostle Paul. It's the only time Paul uses this word. We are in the family of Almighty God. Who is our Father? Almighty God, pantokrator. Yes, as we saw in chapter 1, he is he's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I love that. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. There is a tenderness to God. But he is also the almighty God, the God of all might. He is the God of all comfort and the God of all might. And that means that he knows how to care for us when we fall down and crash our bikes and get skinned up and... He is able to take out any of our adversaries. He's able to beat the living daylights out of them. He is tough and tender. And that might be just enough truth about your heavenly father to get you through what you might face this week. 
He's tender, caring, comforting, and he can beat the living daylights out of any bully that tries to threaten you. We sang a hymn last week at our evening service, O Worship the King, All Glorious Above. And it had these beautiful words about God's mercy. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail. In thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end. Our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm. That's what Paul is saying here. We have a father, a tender father, and yet he is the Lord Almighty. Maker, defender, redeemer, friend, tender, firm. And you belong to him, Christian. My people. Do you feel that today? Do you feel that you are his adopted son or daughter and now you belong to the king, to almighty God? Tim Chester says in his book, Enjoying God, which is another great book to get. You do well in the Christian life if you read your Bible and you read Knowing God and Enjoying God. You're set for life. Here's what Tim Chester says. Adopting us as his children is not merely the Father's duty, it's his pleasure. God sent Jesus, the Son, by nature, so that you could become a son or daughter by adoption. But God wasn't finished. It's not enough for him to make you his child. He wants you to feel like his child and live like his child. So God sends the Spirit so we can feel the intimacy and confidence of being his children. If you don't know that you're a child, then you'll live like a slave with a sense of obligation and a fear of rejection. For those who have trusted in Jesus alone for righteousness, who trust in his finished work on the cross, you are sons and daughters of God. You are not just redeemed from sins, you are received as sons. You are welcomed by God. He says it here, I will welcome you. So many Christians struggle with this. I struggle with this. I woke up this morning, the minute I woke up, just a flood of thoughts, and I thought, I'm an orphan. All these things going on in my life and in the world, what's going to happen? i got to do this. this, this. That's like to slap myself. Listen, I'm five minutes ahead of you on this sermon every Sunday, okay? I'm not light years ahead of you. I'm just five minutes ahead of you, okay? I woke up this morning feeling orphaned and had to slap myself into reality and say, Benji, you are a son of the living God, a son of the king. Act like it. Walk like it. Now I've lost my place in my notes. (laughs) So many Christians struggle with this. I do. I'm going to assume that you do too. We affirm that we are redeemed from our sins, but we struggle to believe that we are received as sons and daughters. And when we doubt his love and care for us, we then functionally act like orphans who don't have the spirit and who have no father. And then we mosey our way back to the devil's orphanage from whence we came. 
when you doubt God's love and care for you, in that moment, as I said this morning, you were saying, I have no father, I have no home, I'm an orphan, I'm all alone in this world, I am unloved, nobody wants me, I must handle everything in my life on my own. It's easy to do this, isn't it? And that's why Paul keeps bringing up God the Father. Paul wants the Corinthians to feel love, to feel accepted, so that they can relax and just enjoy God, just enjoy their Father. This is why Paul tells them that they are sons and daughters in this passage. It's why he tells them that God says to them, I will be a father to you. He wants them to feel it. Because Paul knows that if they don't feel it, then they slip into living like orphans, living like they don't have a father who accepts them and cares for them. And that's what happens when we forget that we have a father in heaven. We slip into that orphan mentality where we think that we have to take care of everything all by ourselves. Let me ask you, have you been acting like an orphan or a son or daughter lately? Do you kind of functionally exist going throughout your day like someone who has no father in heaven, who happens to be the Lord Almighty, Pantocrator, or do you live life knowing that you're a son or daughter of God Almighty? What's happening in your life today that you are trying to handle on your own, that you're stressing about, where you've been thinking that it's all up to you to fix everything? Here's what it looks like when you forget that you are God's child and you begin to orphan yourself. You begin to orphan yourself when you worry about and doubt God's love and care for you. However, the son or daughter, they rest in God the Father's never-ending love. Orphans worry. Sons and daughters trust their father. Orphans worry. Orphans pace the floor. Orphans chew their fingernails down to their elbows. Orphans toss and turn in their bed at night. But sons and daughters, they trust their father. He's Pontecrator. And sons and daughters go to him often to ask for help. Help in learning once again how to be a son or daughter. You begin to orphan yourself when your relationship with God is seen through the lens of success and failure. Good days and bad days. Read your Bible and pray and have a quiet time mornings and not read your Bible and pray and have a quiet time mornings. Success and failure. That becomes the litmus test for intimacy with God, the litmus test for enjoying God. That's orphaning yourself. But the son or daughter rest in the truth that they are absolutely loved no matter what they do. Absolutely forgiven of every sin. Absolutely welcomed by and absolutely cherished by God, whether they have a quiet time or not. Orphans focus on and obsess over and replay all of their failures, but sons and daughters rest in the imputed, credited righteousness of Christ. 
You know you've orphaned yourself when you begin obsessing over and uh, focusing on and replaying like, like, like a, a film, just replaying it over and over all the ways that you've failed. You begin to orphan yourself when you become defensive, when accused of error or weakness. Boy, who doesn't struggle with this? Who doesn't get defensive when someone points out a weakness or error? I know I do. It's amazing how defensive I get about things. But the son or daughter is open to criticism because they rest in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. They are accepted by God so they can handle criticism. Orphans can't handle criticism. Let me say it again. Orphans can't handle criticism. Their identity is wrapped up in what other people think of them. But sons or, and daughters have God's favor so they don't fear what people think of them, even if the criticism is true. Don't we all struggle with this? So how do we get set free from this junk? The answer, help us, Holy Spirit. You begin to orphan yourself when you become a skilled analyst and identifier of other people's sins and failures and weaknesses. And we all do this, don't we? We all think that we are uniquely gifted and uniquely qualified to point out and analyze and critique other people's sins, failures, and motives. The son or daughter, however, is able to freely confess their faults because they know that no matter what, they are loved by their heavenly father. Orphans focus on other people's sins. But sons and daughters freely confess their sins and shortcomings. Orphans go around and they're pointing out everything else that everybody else is doing wrong. And if you show a mirror to them, they're like, oh, get that out of here. Orphans focus on other people's sins, but sons and daughters freely confess their sins and shortcomings. And that's the kind of church DNA that we've been working hard to experience in praying that the Spirit would work in us. That's what we're aiming for, that we wouldn't go around and point out everybody else's sins, but that we would come freely and say, please pray for me because I struggle with this. Yeah, it's embarrassing, but I struggle with this, so please pray for me. So let me ask you to consider what's been going on in that little heart of yours today. Are you acting like a scared orphan or a secure son and daughter today? Have you been orphaning yourself? Do you really believe that God is going to take care of everything that worries and concerns you? Do you really believe that God stands with arms wide open, always allowing you free access to his presence? Or do you view God as a cranky father with arms crossed and a frown on his face? Do you need to relearn what it means to be a son or daughter of God this morning? Do you feel and live like his child? You can feel and live like his child, and you should, because the Son of God did everything for you in order to bring you home. He lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and he's coming again so that you would feel it in your bones. So don't orphan yourself. The Father welcomes you, and he is going to take care of you. Whatever's worrying and weighing on that little heart of yours today, you can just... Hold it out and say, help. Your father is going to take care of it. 
He took care of your biggest problem, right? Which was what? You were stuck in the devil's orphanage, unable to come to him. And he said, I will send my son to live and die for you. He took care of your greatest problem, which was your sin, which is what alienated you from him. You couldn't mosey into his presence because you were a sinner, because you lived in the devil's orphanage. You couldn't show up in his house one day and say, I want to live here. You didn't even know that his home existed. The castle of grace was out there. You didn't know that. You were stuck in the devil's orphanage. Your biggest problem is you couldn't get out. And God kicked the door open one day and broke the chains and said, this one belongs with me. He took care of that biggest problem, an eternal problem. What makes you think he's not going to take care of what's weighing on your heart today? Let's close with something the Apostle John said. They're such sweet, reassuring words. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now, not the devil's anymore. So take those six words, beloved, we are God's children now, and just rub them into your pores real good today, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are Pantocrator, God Almighty, and yet you're our daddy, our father. What peace and hope and assurance this gives us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, Father, for rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of the Son of your love. We can just say thank you. We want to say, I'm sorry, Lord, for the ways we've lived like an orphan. Forgive us for believing the devil's lies and not believing your promises. So we say, I'm sorry, Lord, and now would you teach us how to be sons or daughters by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.